Are you a marketing or advertising professional looking to stay ahead of the game? Well, we've got the perfect opportunity for you. Advertising Week New York is back for its 19th edition, and it's bigger and better than ever. Picture this, four jam-packed days of inspiring keynotes, thought-provoking panels, and networking with the industry's brightest minds. Advertising Week New York is where the world's top brands, agencies, and leaders come together to shape the future of marketing and advertising. But wait, here's the best part. You can secure your spot at Advertising Week New York during the exclusive Early Bird Summer Sale. Act fast and save 30% on all past types. That's right, you'll have access to every session, every workshop, and every unforgettable moment. Don't miss this chance to gain insights from the industry's trailblazers, connect with potential clients, and elevate your career. But remember, this sale ends on August 1st. Head over to advertisingweek.com slash New York today and buy your pass. No promo code needed. The 30% discount applies automatically. Advertising Week New York, the ultimate gathering for marketing and advertising professionals. Be part of the conversation, be part of the innovation, and be part of the future. Get your early bird sale pass now and join us at Advertising Week New York. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is Jim Pryor. Jim has a new gig, sort of an evolution uh, within the WPP family as chair of Design Bridge and Partners. For many years, he was global CEO of SuperUnion, a great shop, has had a legendary career at WPP, still very much in the midst of. And we're thrilled to talk to you today, Jim. So a hearty welcome to Great Minds. Well, it's my great pleasure to be here, Matt, and thank you so much for having me on Great Minds. You got it. So, Jim, I'd like to go back and start in a different place. We're going to get to all the stuff that's happening now, of course, but way back when you worked for two iconic brands in the sports apparel lifestyle space, uh, going all the way back to Levi Strauss, head of merch in the UK back in the early 90s. Uh, and at that point in time in the world, design was in a very different place. Uh, but I'd love to start by talking about your tenure there, and then you jumped to director of product marketing, a broader role, Mia, and had a really nice run at Converse, two great iconic brands, certainly part of my youth, uh, and still going strong today. So I'd love to start with reflections back on your time at Strauss and Converse. Yeah, well, it was it was it was a it was a great privilege actually to be able to work for such brands and and you know if anyone wants a grounding in how to build great brands and 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 how to advise great brands then go work for them because that's uh, that that that's a great place to learn and and so it was for me so you know I started my career actually I mean I, I'd never had any intention never ever saw myself going into an agency world and I wasn't quite sure ever quite what I wanted to do if I'm really honest with you. Um, but I started out almost by accident working in the apparel business in the UK. And uh, in fact, my very first job was working for a company that uh, wove uh, fabrics through through a mill back in the days when there were mills in, um, in the UK uh, and then dyed the fabric up for dressmakers. Um, I did that for a couple of years. Then I joined a great company called Pepe Jeans that was a very, very 
entrepreneurial, fast-growing company owned by three brothers who'd started the business on a market stall in London. Uh, and I got into managing um, actually really production out of factories and, and, and product lines almost as a consequence of that and working with designers who would put together collections and then my job was to go get them made. And, um, and so I had this sort of very close relationship with product and product design and manufacturing and like stuff, you know, physical stuff that brands are built of. And, and at the same time, you know, these were businesses that were working inside of culture because fashion and culture still are, but especially at that time were like so, so intertwined. Um, I worked for Pepe Jeans. I, I then left that company and ill-advisedly set up my own company with a couple of friends, uh, which we ran for a couple of years. And, and again, learned a lot of, I mean, a lot of what I learned about business was actually learned packing boxes and writing invoices and chasing down debt in a small little jeanswear business um, back in the day. But then around in the sort of early, early mid nineties, as you say, I joined Levi Strauss, which was such an amazing company to, to, to be a part of at that time was in a huge growth phase um, driven out of a, a, a sort of a repositioning, if you like, of the way that brands could could play a role in culture and play a role in people's lives. It was a great day, in, great days in Europe of amazing advertising with, with BBH as our key partner there. But my role was my role was on the product line. It was how do we put together a product line in, in the context of a big global brand and a you know. A, a, product like the Levi's 501 that hadn't changed in like 120 years as it was at that time. Um, but also, you know, it was continually in, in the fashion and business, you're continually refreshing your product line, like every three months, every two months, every month, your, your, your product changes. So the brand is, was, was fluid and, and, and the culture was fluid at that time as well, I think everywhere. So I just had a great time. It was a very young company, had some great colleagues around me, some great senior mentors and figures around me and um and we just learned by doing and we learned by um we learned by doing what we thought was best and then seeing how that worked and then adapting and responding and changing all the time so i had a great few years there and then i went to converse which is another great brand and you know converse is converse, actually converse is a fascinating business in so many ways you know business that had um a, a real strong role to play had played a really strong role for like you know 80 odd years in in youth culture but also in sport and sport culture and there was this kind of interesting mix of a, what was a performance basketball brand that, that was also at that time into action sports into running into a whole host of um of different disciplines but but as i say at the same time had this iconic status you know the chuck taylor all-star was just like a shoe that these were the days of kurt cobain you know when 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 kurt was wearing his all-stars and like rocking the world and and you know so two great brands that i that i loved working for and had a great time at and 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 learned so much at and you know big difference between what we would call the kind of client side versus the agency side is when you're on the client side, you kind of do a bit of everything, right? You're not sitting in a silo as a planner or as a creative or as a client person. You're you're actually you're part of running the business, and 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 that was great fun, and I enjoyed that, and I loved that, and I had a great time there. Um, 
But then I got to a point in my career where I, I, I fancied a change and, and on a whim, I moved into the agency world and, and, and somehow 22 two years later, that, that whim continues. So a great, great story. And we're going to get to that, uh, that long extended whim. Um, I love that your academic background was physics and behavioral science. That sort of connects uh, I would say, at least with a dotted line, if not a direct line, to being a big player and leader in the whole design world. Did you imagine that when you were in your academic part of your life as a young guy, that that's where you would end up going? Or is it just sort of, as with many of us, serendipity and, and chance that yeah. took you on the yeah. career path? Well, you know, there was a there's a huge amount of serendipity. I mean, you know, it was physics that I studied with with a couple of other sort of bold on bits. But you know, I studied for actually, you know, I, I I was at school, and both my parents had like left school when they were sixteen, and they were they were amazingly and are amazingly bright and wonderful people. But but I left school at sixteen and had no so there was no history of education in our family. So while I was at school. Teachers had said to me, well, you know, you should go to a university and study something. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, that sounds cool. I mean, I'll give that a go. And and, and I had no idea what to study. And, and the school I went to, no one ever advised me on, like, what you could study. So I just said, OK, well, I, I was doing the subjects I was doing at school were physics and and geography and um, maths and something else. And so I said, oh, I'll study physics, because that seemed to make sense. I just assumed that's what you had to do. And then suddenly I arrive at this university, and then I'm meeting people and say, oh, what are you studying? And they say, I'm studying philosophy. And I'm like, oh, that's a thing. And oh, OK, I might have liked that. And then someone else would say, oh, I'm doing the history of art. And I was like, that's a thing? I mean, I might have liked that. But anyway, I found myself studying physics. But in truth, I was fascinated. I was a sort of philosophical physicist. Like, I couldn't really be bothered with the maths. I, I, I love the like, why is the universe as it is? And, you know, how do things actually work? And, and what are the answers or what are the questions that we don't have answers to in the world today? And that sort of stuff really fascinated me. And, and, and my brain was engaged by that. And, and, and so that's what I, that's what I studied. And, and then I left. And I think the one thing I was clear about in my career was that I didn't want to be a physicist, because that really is where you have to enjoy the maths and so forth. So then people said to me, well, you know, you could go work in the oil industry, because there's a lot of physicists in the oil industry. And I'd done a bit of, you know, like geophysics as part of my course. And I, I graduated in 1986. And in 1986, there was one of the many crises that had happened in the oil world the oil price had like collapsed to six dollars a barrel or something and no one in the oil industry was hiring anybody so um so that door closed and and then i that's how i ended up in the textile trade because i was looking for a job and this little textile um converter as they're called that i mentioned earlier on uh, we're looking for someone that they thought had some good analytical skills to help them plan production through their factory. So complete serendipity that led me into the industry that I was in. But I would say that sort of inquisitive about the world and how it works and why things are, are as they are has always remained with me. And you rode that wave of prominence, if you will, as design has become such a big part of our industry over the years, but you alluded to it, started a, a 22 some odd year run with the WPP family. And I guess that began right around the turn of the century, 2001 at the partner. So can we talk about how you got there, your journey? And I'm, I'm guessing you didn't start as CEO 
Uh, so uh, I'd love to sort of trace that journey a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I was coming out of Converse, which was the days before Nike had acquired the business where it was, you know, the business wasn't in great shape. In the US actually, it was doing quite well in Europe, but in the US it wasn't in great shape. The business was restructuring and then the leadership of the company had come to me and they said, Jim, you're not gonna have a job in a year, um, but we need you to hang around for a year while we work out what we're gonna do. And so I was thinking, okay, so what am I gonna do? And the problem with having a year to find a job is it's like way too long, right? Because everybody you talk to, it says, I'm gonna be free in a year. They're like, well, come back and tell me you know, that in 11 months time. Um, so you spend a lot of time like thinking, oh, what could I do? Like, what do I wanna do? Where am I gonna go? And at the time, I, you know, I, I, I loved my time in those companies, but I, I, I found I was spending less and less time on the thing that I really loved, which was ideas and creativity and how we you know, use our imagination to, to, to drive the business forward and, and more and more time on managing a PL and managing people and, you know, and, ma and managing kind of detailed stuff. So to me, it seemed like all the energy at that time was it was in the agency world. So I went out and I, and I said, oh, you know, like, I, I want to move to the agency world. So, you know, you go and talk to recruiters and you say, oh, hey, you know, I'm Jim Fryer. And so what I've been doing for the last, you know, 15 years, and I'd like to work in the agency world. And they all kind of looked at me and said, well, that's great. But, you know, what do you know about the agency world? And I said, well, no, you know, like nothing really. And I said, okay, what experience have you got? Are you a creative? And, well, no, I'm not really a creative. I kind of am, but not really. Well, you uh, are you a strategist? Well, you know, I'm not really a strategist, but I kind of am. And so the conversation went on. And I went through this long cycle of like having half interesting con conversations with half interested agencies before we conclude that they didn't actually have a job for me because I didn't fit into any of the any of the shaped holes that they had I was either too square or too round or too diamond or too whatever and then I got a call from from somebody that said there's this great agency called the partners in London that has just been acquired by WPP and literally within like months of this conversation being acquired by WPP. And they said they're growing really fast, got a brilliant creative reputation, and they need someone that can help them in their strategy department, and they'd be interested in talking to you. So I went along and we had a conversation and I, I, I met I met the founder as an amazing person and, and, and a dear personal friend now uh, called Aziz Chami. Who, who was one of the founders of the business and, and, and remained with it at that time. And we had a great conversation. I left the room and I, and I thought, I love this guy and I love this company, but you know what? I've got no idea what they do. And I've got no idea what the job is. And, um, and then they offered me a job. And, and I think in part, they offered me the job. We got on very well, but, but they, they didn't have any idea whether I could do the job either. It's just, they needed someone and they needed someone fast. And I was available at that particular time. So when I say I joined on a whim, I think it was a whim on my part and a whim on, on their part to, to say, let's see how that goes. So I went in and, you know, in all honesty, I think for the first three or four months, I was thinking, what have I done? Like, like you know, what, what is this place and, and how does it work? And, you know, the partners at that time was a brilliant, brilliant design business that had evolved like so many design businesses had to be a much broader consulting business. So, you know, you get this pattern that had gone on from the early 90s where corporate identity became like a thing and then in order to deliver well in in the field of corporate identity you had to understand the strategy of the business in order to understand the strategy of the business you had to have a a, a strong strategy function you had to spend your time talking to ceos and, and and leaders about you know what they wanted their business to to achieve and, and what their goals were and what their 
what the drivers of their business were. And, and, and out of that comes like the ability to actually consult with a company about much more than just its corporate identity. So you're able to then extend into this broader conversation about, okay, so how do you position in the world and how do you organize yourself internally? How do you present yourself externally, et cetera? And this was this kind of glory days in many ways of brand consulting where, where, where that was, you know, brand consultancies at that time have positioned themselves very much at the center of the, of the universe of a lot of uh, a lot of companies and brands, which you know maybe that's a position we're starting to reclaim again now in a lot of ways. But anyway, I, I joined the company to do that job, and then over the sort of three or four years that followed that, uh, my good friend, as he's charmed me, the founder and 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 David Stewart, who was another remaining founder of the business, they they retired. We, we'd sold they'd sold the business to WPP before I joined, so the time was right for them to retire. Uh, and and so about 2004, 2005, I took over leading that company at that point in time. And, you know, I, in, in all honesty, it was a troubled time for, for that business, like a lot of businesses, post 9-11, post dot-com bubble bursting um, with the sort of new explosion of, uh, you know, wave one into wave two digital, um, where I think the the the... the that whole brand consultancy bubble was under a little pressure. So we had a business that needed a bit of work doing to it and, and reorganizing. And so that's what I said about doing at that time. I remember the business being 27 people at, at, at a Christmas party in 2005, standing up in front of 27 people and saying, come on, this is what we got to do. We got to rebuild. We got to refocus. We got to get our creativity up to its highest ever level, and it was there was a high bar before that. And 22 years later, we're a thousand or so people in in some similar guise of the company. You know, we've gone along, we've we've absorbed other companies, we've merged with other companies, we've partnered with other companies. We're in this like necessary and important constant flux of how we evolve and develop. But one way or another, it's still the same job as it was Christmas 2005 for 27 people. What's that? The, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? That was an interesting period, though, 2005. Facebook was born that year, the iPhone a year later. Uh, the work that uh, Sir Johnny Ive did with the iPhone and with Apple, widely considered, I think, to be a sort of a bellwether in the contemporary evolution of prominence of design. But talk about that challenge you had, a small company, 27 people, the ground underneath you is starting to shift. The, the analog world is evolving, baby steps at that point into the digital world. Very interesting time to take the helm and take that challenge to grow the business. Yeah, it was. Well, yeah, well, while we're, while we're in the business of, of quotations, right, it was the best of times and the worst of times, as um, um, as Charles Dickens once wrote. Um, you know, the sort of best of times in many ways was that, you know, what we were doing was, was, was and is today, I mean, almost as, even more today, but especially at that time, so important to business, which is how do you set that in the, in the context of all that change, in the context of technology shift, in the context of behavioral shift in the context of societal shift and political shift and all those things going on, how do you define the meta principles that guide you and your brand? So how do you know 
what you're always going to stay true to. You know, what is what is true, what is truth and authenticity in your brand? And then what are the things that 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 will guide you so that you can go and explore all these new opportunities and all these new things and 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 do that without it becoming a distraction to the consumer or your audience, your customer. And you know, the audiences for brands, of course, much more than just consumers. So you know, the best of times that we were was that we were more relevant than ever to try and help clients navigate through that landscape and all those new things. I mean, the worst of times, though, was like if you're a client in that area, the last thing you want to do is to spend your time talking to somebody about like, oh, what are the things that are never going to change? And like, what are the core principles? What you want to be doing is chasing those new things and investing in those new things. And I, and I think, you know, we were in a landscape there and we, we were for sort of 10 years hence where from a CMO's point of view in particular, there were like so many things you needed to be investing in. And, you know, it, like design, design was interesting. I mean, design lost its way, I think. I mean, I, I think, you know, design has this like fascinating history. I mean, you can go all the way back to like the Bauhaus and, and forward, but, you know, design's always had a challenge, I think, as a discipline in the marketing mix, where as soon as there's something new and really exciting and topical that comes along, it kind of slightly loses its confidence. And, like something in the communications discipline becomes more important. Something in the digital discipline becomes more important. Something in the management consulting discipline becomes more important. And, you know, part of my mission these days is to try and instill a bit more confidence into design and its practitioners to, to actually stand up to the buffeting of the, of the wind that blows from the, all these different directions. But I, I think in that era that you're in that period you're describing, it was like a, it, it was a, it was the best of times and the worst of times. And the worst of it was that there was so much going on. Everybody was confused. Everyone was focused. And by the way, we're in this like low growth environment, right? By the time you get to 2008, 2009, and you've had a financial crisis and everyone's hungry. Ground. Again, it was, it, it, it was a, it, it was, it was an interesting time, interesting environment. I mean, what I'm really excited about now to bring that story forward to today is actually, I think now is a great time to be bringing that that whole story about what are those principles that that, that hold everything together. What are those principles that actually drive you forward, and 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 what are those things that actually facilitate you doing all of those many um, varied, exciting, necessary things in in um, in in the activity of of, of your brand but that allow you to keep coherence to that and keep meaning to that in the most exciting way. And, and, and you know, in some ways, nothing's changed in that time frame. Um, but but uh, other than that, I think we've, we've, we've got more confidence back. And, and in some ways, the landscape's become so damn confusing for everyone that they've kind of had to do that anyway. Oh, so, so it's such a good story. As this growth is coming along, going back to that Christmas party and 27 people, your global footprint is growing. Offices all over the world, you're in South America, uh, very deeply in both uh, Mexico and the Spanish-speaking, uh, Colombia, Buenos Aires, and Argentina. Also, Sao Paulo, Brazil, a whole separate animal. Talk about that challenge as still a relatively young exec leading a global company, learning the world and different things different cultures place different levels of importance. We'll use that simple word on different parts of the business. I love the constant of trying to elevate 
design and give it more confidence alongside other disciplines within the marketing mix. But talk about that sort of global evolution of Jim Pryor. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's been, you know, I mean, it's, it's a story of so many great privileges and opportunities I've had and that that opportunity to be able to go out into you know, the, the great diverse world that we live in um, is one great one within that. I mean, you know, look, I, to me, I start from the point of view that like scale is good, right? I mean, there's a lot of people and, and I've always had my, like the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is always like, is, is like, how good is the work that we're doing? And, and can we be at our creative best? And, and, and do I feel that we're doing great work. Like before, before I worry about what anybody else is thinking, I think, but do I feel we're doing great work? A lot of people in design businesses are like that. A lot of people in all businesses are like that, but I think particularly in, in designers. But then very often, I think in the design world, particularly, you get this fear that goes with that, that says, yeah, but the minute you become big, you lose the ability to self-determine like that. And, and, and you lose the ability to control work and you forced yourself to live by a different set of rules which could be driven by the clients and the culture of the country and the economics and the finance team and whatever and I just call bullshit on all that right I mean my my starting point is that like scale is great I mean when you're big you get access to bigger briefs you get access to bigger challenges you get access to more people with with incredible skills that you can bring together and you can you can join up and 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 um create these amazing catalytic um almost sort of alchemic um uh results from um so so to me it was always a good thing to be saying how can we do more in more places with more people always a good thing and then I think to be able to go in as well, like I'm yet to find any like territory in the world where you go in and you say, we want to knock it out the park creatively. And someone says, oh, we don't want that. Like everybody wants that, right? Everybody wants that. I think the challenge is not that so much the intent, it's delivering the intent because they're, they're two very different things as, as is the case in myriad other parts of business but i i i i've always enjoyed that that process of doing that and i and i think then when you go because again so much of what constitutes good work and and relevance in a market is rooted in culture of course you've then got to go in and you've got to understand the culture you know i think it's really hard to go into markets and deliver great work if you're not in the market somehow i mean it you don't have to have like a hundred people there or you know, a thousand people, even 10 people, but you've got to understand um, the market. So we did that. I mean, we've always done it gradually. I mean, I remember opening in New York for the first time on the back of a client win. Uh, we, opened, we opened an office in New York when I was back at the partner. At about 2007, we won a major global client, unexpectedly for us, actually, but great client and um, still a client today. Um, and I thought this is the perfect opportunity to go open an office in New York. So I went out to New York. I hired a couple of people. Um, we found some space. We got everybody in. And then I, I and I introduced the people I was proposing to hire to my client as we went along. They were New York. They were based in New York City, my client, although we were working with them from London. And and then I hired the people. And then the client never worked with that team. They were like, oh, actually, we prefer to work with you guys in London because we know you and you know us. And so, you know, we, and I learned from that, interestingly, that you can, you know, yes, it's preferable to have your client in place before you have your business, but actually if you're confident in what you want to do and you believe in what you want to do, 
you can open an office and then you go about like steadily building you know connections with people and just deliver great work and and don't be afraid don't be shy in those environments so we did that in new york and then we did it in singapore and then we actually merged the partners business with Lambinen, another amazing business in, in WPP founded by a, a, a Martin Lambinen, sadly um, the late Martin Lambinen, but, but a genius um, and a brilliant um, creative person and, and, and businessman. And, and there was a geographic footprint that came with that business that we leaned into, which is where a lot of those Latin American businesses were. Um, at that time, and then, yeah, as time's gone on, we've added more. And as I say, I think we're 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 richer for it in terms of the opportunities it creates and the work we can do. You mentioned growth within the WPP family. Other agencies become part of yours. It all just keeps going and growing to where you are today. Uh, at the same time, there's a lot of changes at the mothership. WPP is evolving. Give us some of your reflections on the evolution of WPP over that time. You've been there a long time, seen it in the high councils of power from the inside. Certainly an interesting evolution. I think today, to jump to the present, I think Mark and his team are doing a tremendous job. Don't get nearly the credit that they should. I like Lindsay a lot. I think he's got a terrific leadership team and is really doing some brilliant, brilliant really groundbreaking work for a company. It's very hard to take a company as old, established, global footprint, you know, and change it. And I think Mark is doing that. But give us some of your reflections on the evolution of the mothership. Well, I mean, to start at that end point, completely, Mark is just doing an amazing job. I mean, you know, Mark, Mark has... Mark has made calls and decisions that I don't think any other human being on this planet would have made inside of the business right so so some of the simplifications in the group um i have been you know they're, they're like on paper they're like massively controversial right um but 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 mark's made those calls and they've worked like every single one of them has worked and it's made the business stronger and it's made the people happier uh and it's made the primary the primary importance it's made the clients happier um, and yeah, we all look forward to the day when it's made the shareholders uh, as happy as perhaps they should be through, through some of those. But, um, you know, Mark absolutely done an, an, an incredible, an amazing job. And, and, and I'm in awe of everything that he's, he's done and achieved there. And, and, and con it continues to be a great um, pleasure to work with him and others in that team. I mean, it, you know, it's interesting in WPP, like, I, I mean, I look around rooms now in WPP and I kind of think who actually has been here like longer than me? Because I still feel like I'm the kid that's just walked in off the street and like no one knows who I am. I remember just before I joined the partners in WPP uh, through a, a friend of a friend really was, was, was a creative lead at, at JWT as it was in London. And I remember sitting down in the kitchen and saying, oh yeah, like what's it like in WPP? And I was, I was, I was like, you know, kind of starstruck by this guy. And um, and then suddenly here I am sitting in a room of senior WPP people. And I'm like, there's like three people in the room that have been here, like, you know, as long as I have or something. So, so first of all, I, I'm still, I'm still not quite sure how all that happened when that got there. You know, WPP has been an amazing place for 22 years. I mean, I, like, I wouldn't say that at any point WPP was not an incredible company. It's just, it's had to change because the world changes, right? And the world evolves and 
you know, that you've talked about the change of the technology landscape. You look at the way the media landscape has changed since the 22 year ago point that I joined it to the point where we are today. It couldn't be the same business. And then you look at what's made that business successful throughout that period. It's been growth through diff pulling the different levers. You know, Martin was an amazing, is an amazing businessman and made so many incredibly brilliant decisions to pull together this incredible empire in WPP. It's just that you get to a point in time where it has to evolve, right? And it has to change. So, you know, there were there, there, were, there were points in the history where we probably like looked more at ourselves internally and thought, oh, you know, like, what are we going to do? And then there are points where we've been more action oriented. I mean, I would say in 22 years, I would say, it's probably been like 19 years of action orientation and maybe three studied through the timeline where it was less so. I would say it's always been a great company. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's an entrepreneurial company. The, the definition of entrepreneurial changes over time. Um, but I think it's always been an entrepreneurial company. It's always been an empowering company. You know, as a leader of a business inside a WPP, you, you do actually get to lead your business. Like you're not being told by somebody else how to lead your business. You do actually lead your business and you do lead your clients and you do work out how what value is for you and your clients. And then that's contributory up to the group. And, you know, and that culture, that culture remains, um, as, as you've said, and as, as I um, echoed already, Mark is doing a brilliant job. We're in a great place as a company um there's always more work to do but i'm very very confident we'll continue to do it and i tell you what i'd much rather be sitting inside of a robust well-managed strategically intelligent organization than wpp than sitting inside of like some independent that's getting like you know rocked by the waves of, of, of financial pressure and so forth that goes on you know, everywhere right now. It's a, it's a good it's a good place to work. It's a good you can you can you can look down at your desk on day one and twenty two late years later you look up and you're still here. You know. Yeah, uh, it's amazing how you know the time does go. I mean, I, I feel the same way as you. I think you and I graduated from university the same year, and I marvel at how much time has passed. And I'll tell a story. And often the story will be older than the people in the room that I'm telling the story to. I know. That's depressing, um, isn't it, Matt? I mean, well, like, you know, I how, how did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Listen, I'm grateful we're still here. So, uh, Jim, just as we start to wrap, I'd love to get your reflections and look into sort of the crystal ball, if you will. You're now chair, leading design bridge and partners. It's an evolution of a lot of work over uh, two decades plus. What's on your list? What are we, what's on the, if I'm in looking in your uh, office on the whiteboard and you know, you've got your strategic priorities for 23, 24, et cetera, what's on that whiteboard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't have a whiteboard because I'm terrible. I never write anything down. It's, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all on a sort of fluid whiteboard spinning around in, um, in my head somewhere. But you know, I, I, so what's on my priority? I mean, like, it, it, we're in a client-centric business and we have to be, we, you know, we are client-centric, right? We're at our best when we're serving clients. And I, and I think really where we're at our best is where we, we, we really understand deeply what our clients' issues are, challenges are, concerns are. And, and I think, you know, for me, 
as I look forward now as design bridging partners, you know, that's where we're really focused. It, it, it's how can we help our clients to solve the big questions and the big challenges that they have? And how can we approach those with a strategic mindset and a creative mindset with bravery and fearlessness around what the nature of those solutions can be and, and, and with humanity at the heart of it. And there's this lovely, lovely position that design occupies in the world where it's like, you know, it's deeply thoughtful, but it's also like about how you create connections in people's minds and, 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 and inspire their hearts to, you know, throw out some positive chemicals that, that, um, that do good things for them. And, 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 but I think, you know, that the key to it to me is how do we build these relationships with our clients? Because, you know, like every organization in the world right now is, is, is unsure about where we're going to be in a year, where we're going to be in three years. Like no one's got a clue where we're going to be in 10 years, right? Other than there's probably some chat GPT functionality existing out there somewhere, but not even that is sure. So, so how do we understand that? How do we get close to our clients? How do we address the biggest problems that are there? You know, for me, it's also how do we make sure that the work we do is genuinely adding value, not just to their businesses, but to the world, you know, like so much talk in the world about like brand purpose and, that's great and it's valuable, but it's it's like one thing to write down that I'm striving hard every day to make the world a better place. It's like completely another thing to be able to actually say, you know what, I've changed something like, you know, I've created a more sustainable solution for a consumer goods brand that, that like, you know, can now claim and justifiably and, and with pride that it's changed the way that um, it delivers a product or, or, or I've enabled an organization to, to genuinely make a positive difference to society. Even if that positive difference, by the way, is just to fulfill some kind of commercial need that, that, that exists there. So that's really what my priority is. I, I do, you know, I, I do want to elevate the cause of design and, and the power of design, you know, what design is and what design can do in the world. I think that's an undertold story and an undervalued story. And I want to do that. And then, you know, with the sort of, if if I accept for a minute, which I'm reluctant to, that I'm now at a sort of venerable point, I want to, I want to just pass on as much wisdom as I can to other people. You know, how can I help other people? When you've got a company of a thousand people around the world, maybe there's a hundred of them or 150 or maybe even 500 that, that, that it might be helpful for them to hear some of these experiences like I'm recounting here. So I guess that's what's in my mental whiteboard right now, man. Absolutely fantastic. Well, Jim, I enjoyed this so much. I love uh, the chance to uh, talk about your, your career path, which is great, and talk about some great iconic old brands like uh, Levi Strauss and Converse and what you're doing now uh, leading Design Bridge and Partners. It's a great story, and I can't thank you enough for uh, joining us here on Great Minds. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been my pleasure. It really has. Mm -hmm.